Hi, thanks for listening to Season 1 of the Hymn We Proclaim podcast. We're starting off with a special Advent series called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Advent is a season of anticipation, right? Believers in Christ are anticipating the second coming of Christ. This is the second Advent message called The Offspring of Abraham. It's not only about the prophetic genealogy of Abraham to Christ, it's about the great promise from God called the Abrahamic Covenant, which means the gospel is for all peoples and all nations. It's an exciting and encouraging message for our faith. Here's John. Advent is a time of anticipation. Advent is a time of looking forward. It's a time of longing for redemption, longing for salvation. And so the appropriate sense of Advent is captured in the invocation of the classic Advent hymn by Charles Wesley, which we just sang. It is a song of invocation. It is a song of asking the Lord to come. And and so last week, what we saw was this, is that the Advent of Jesus is the fulfillment of the promised offspring of Eve. When God made that promise, God's people from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 forward, they were looking, they were longing, where would this serpent crusher, this champion seed of the woman who is going to come rescue us, where, where is this champion seed going to come from? Who is it going to be? And, and if I had time, I could walk you through the whole book of Genesis this morning and show you how that unfolds. It's powerful. And so we looked at that last week, that Jesus is the, he is the offspring of Eve. But today, what I want to show you is this, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promised offspring of Abraham. And that is the gospel. That is the good news. God, as I said, he promised to send this serpent crusher, this champion seed of the, of the woman in Genesis 3, verse 15. And so when you come to Genesis chapters 12 through 17, the Lord expands on his promise to Eve. And he expands on his promise to Eve with his covenant that he makes with Abraham. And the scriptures reveal when you get to Genesis 12 through 17 that the offspring of Eve will now become the offspring of Abraham. So let me just quickly walk you through chapters 4 through 11 of Genesis because I'm sure most of you have been having your quiet time in Genesis 5 and Genesis 11, which are the genealogies, right? They're just so exciting. Well, well here, here's why they're exciting. Because the genealogies of Genesis 5 and 11 all about God's faithfulness to save you. Because when you, see, when you begin to read the Bible with a different lens, not looking for a quiet time moral tip to make me feel good for the day, Genesis 5 through 11 will be boring and totally irrelevant to your life. But if you read the Bible, well, where is the serpent crusher going to come from? Genesis 5 through 11 is like a 4th of July fireworks show because those genealogies are telling you God is a God of promise who is faithful to keep his promise to redeem you. And so in Genesis chapters 4 through 11, 
these chapters are revealing to us the God of promise, the God who is faithful, the covenant-keeping God. It reveals to us his, what the Bible calls his chesed. You like that little guttural from the Hebrew, right? His covenant loyalty, his loving kindness, his steadfast love. He is faithful to keep his promises. And so chapters 4 through 11 of Genesis tell us that God is faithful to bring forth the champion offspring of the woman that he promised in Genesis 3.15. Let me just quickly walk you through how this happens. Right after the fall, the offspring of the woman is threatened by Cain's murder of his brother Abel. And so you have this conflict arise immediately in the story of redemption And you're thinking, well, wait a minute, God made a promise, but now Cain has murdered his brother Abel, right? Because in chapter 4, verse 1, Adam and Eve conceive and give birth to their first son, Cain. And this is important because the name Cain meant, I've got him. Or, here he is. And so it's likely that Eve thought Cain was the offspring that God promised to her in Genesis 3, verse 15. And yet, tragically, while Eve thought that she had given birth to this champion offspring, the promised savior of the world, what she really gave birth to was the first antichrist who was a murderer. But God's faithfulness is seen in the birth of Adam and Eve's third son, Seth. And so in response to the birth of Seth, Eve says in Genesis 4, verse 25, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. Now, she is clearly referring back to God's promise in Genesis 3, 15. God's promise to send this offspring of the woman who will defeat and crush the serpent's head and obtain victory for God's people Seth replaces Abel with his birth. And listen, and, and, and so we see the hope of an offspring who will overcome the serpent again. And so the potential of Seth's birth is immediately highlighted in the first invocation that we find in Scripture. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. This expected offspring of the woman, Seth, rises up again out of this dark world of sin and misery. In chapter 4, verse 26, it says, then, when Seth came, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's an invocation. That's what we did this morning. We called upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, come and help us. Come and save us. And so in Genesis chapter 5, we see the Lord's faithfulness to maintain the offspring of the woman in Adam's descendants leading to Noah. That's what the genealogy of chapter 5 is all about. It is connecting God's promise of the offspring of the woman to get us to Noah. And then when we come to Genesis chapter 6, the Bible tells us that we have this worldwide increase of human wickedness that is so bad. God says, I'm sorry that I've made this world. And so again, God's promise is threatened. But God, wait a minute, you promise. How can you destroy the world if you've made a promise? How can this seed, this champion seed of the offspring of the woman come 
if you destroy it. And so in Genesis chapter six through nine, with the story of Noah, what we have is God being faithful to maintain the promise to offspring in the protection of Noah's family in the great flood. The odds get very low at this point. There are eight people left in the world and the rest of the world is destroyed. And through these eight people, Noah's family, God preserves his promised offspring of the woman through Noah's family, and he safely brings them through the flood waters of judgment, which again in 1 Peter is a picture of baptism. So after you get through Noah, and God brings Noah and his family out of the old creation into the new creation, God has preserved his seed, the offspring of the woman through Noah's family. And so in Genesis chapter 10, the Lord's faithfulness is seen in Noah's descendants leading to Shem. And then in chapter 11, you have Shem's descendants leading, guess who, to Abraham. And so what you have in Genesis chapters 1 through 11 is this highly condensed history of redemption that is like a 35,000 foot overview of God's redemptive faithfulness in the history of man, highly condensed. But then when you come to chapter 12 of Genesis, the film just really pauses And we come to Abraham in Genesis chapters 12 through 17. And once we get here, this unfolding story of redemption slows down. And the focus is now on one pagan Gentile called Abraham. And so the significance of Abraham and God's plan of redemption cannot be overstated. Listen to what Graham Goldsworthy says about uh, the significance of Abraham and the covenant that God makes with him. He says that, All of world's history is related to the promises that God makes to Abraham. All of world history. He says that the final meaning of history will be found in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the promised offspring of Abraham. So let me just quickly take you through Genesis 12, 15, and 17 to just give you a summary picture of the Abrahamic covenant, the promises that the Lord makes to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, The Lord comes to this pagan Gentile because it says in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, that Abraham was a pagan Gentile who grew up in a home that served other foreign gods. And so God comes to this ungodly, lost, pagan Gentile called Abraham. And he makes unconditional promises to him. And he essentially gives him two promises. He says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you an offspring that is so numerous you can't count it. And he says that, Abraham, through your offspring, chapter 12, verse 3, all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham is very old. He's thinking, how in the world is this promise going to happen, right? So in Genesis chapter 15, the Lord ratifies his covenant promises with Abraham with this thing called a solemn covenant cutting ceremony. Now, Abraham in Genesis 15 understood this ceremony because in Abraham's day, if two kings wanted to make a peace treaty, this is what they would do. They'd cut animals in half, they would put them in a row, and they would walk through these severed halves of the animals, and they would say to each other, I promise to do this, and you promise to do this, and if you renege on your promise, and if you renege on your promise, let what happened to these animals happen to me. Right? 
So that's how a covenant was made. Abraham knew this, but this is the amazing thing about Genesis 15 that is utterly unique about this covenant ceremony. Abraham does nothing. Abraham falls asleep and does nothing. He does not walk through the severed halves of the animals, but God, who is faithful for making a promise, he walks by himself through the severed halves of the animals, and he swears to Abraham to perform all the conditions and to suffer all the curses of the covenant promise that he made to Abraham. And he essentially says to Abraham, let me, who is the great king, be cut in half like these animals if I do not fulfill my promise to you, Abraham. And so Abraham is this old man who is beyond the age of childbearing, Sarah beyond the age of childbearing. They're thinking this is not going to happen. And God says, watch it happen. I'm going to do it all for you. And then you come to Genesis chapter 17, and again, the Lord to signify and seal and assure his promise that he will perform and he will suffer all the curses of this covenant. He, gives, he institutes the sacrament of circumcision to assure Abraham and his descendants of his unconditional promises that this bloody sign that is sealed, carved into the flesh of every male in the covenant community, this sign would serve as a constant reminder of God's promises to Abraham and to his descendants. And so that's very quickly the Abrahamic covenant. But from this point forward, from Genesis 12 to 17, forward in Scripture, the unfolding story of redemption, the Abrahamic covenant, becomes God's primary revelation of how he will save man, his covenant of grace. And so listen to what Paul says about the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, he quotes Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And he calls Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the gospel beforehand, the gospel in promise. The Abrahamic covenant is the gospel in promise. Now, as the story of redemption begins to unfold we see that the Lord's promise to Abraham is fulfilled in two stages. First, the Lord's promise to Abraham is fulfilled in the nation of Israel. That's the offspring. And in the land of Canaan. That's the land during the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. But as great as that first level of fulfillment was, Israel... Listen, the offspring and Cain and the land were only pictures and foreshadows of a greater reality to come. These were just pictures. This wasn't the reality. And so second, the Lord's promise to Abraham is fulfilled in Christ and his church, who are the offspring in the new heavens and the new earth, the resurrection. This is the land during the new covenant. And so what I want to focus on with you this morning briefly is to show you in the New Testament briefly how this second stage of fulfillment actually takes place. How Jesus, with the advent of Jesus, he fulfills the promises made by God to Abraham and how that through Christ, all the families of the earth, the Gentiles, the nations are blessed through the offspring of Abraham. So the New Testament reveals this second stage, this greater fulfillment in a variety of ways. 
Let me show you the first way it does this. Here's the first way. The Gospels of Matthew, Luke, and John reveal that the promise made to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Listen to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It begins like this. It says, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, this is the third genealogy that we've looked at this morning. And this genealogy, like Genesis 5 and Genesis 11, is quite exciting. Because if you're a first century, a first century Jew and you were to read this, you're, it would be mind-boggling to you. Because what had happened in the context of Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 is this, is that the remnant of Judah that had returned from Babylonian exile, they had been waiting under foreign occupation for 500 years for the promised son of David, the promised son of Abraham to appear, to come. They had been looking and longing and waiting for the fulfillment of the Lord's promises to their forefathers. And stunningly, Matthew tells us that this long-awaited expectation is over. And he announces that the gospel, the good news, is that the advent of Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the son of David. So what Matthew does in his genealogy is he traces 14 generations from Abraham to David and then from David to the Babylonian exile where these people were, which and Mary and all these people who had come out and you know, they, were, they, were, they were the offspring of those descendants. And then from the Babylonian exile to the birth of Jesus. And so Matthew tells us at the very beginning of his gospel that the Lord's promise to Abraham, which was initially fulfilled in the history of Israel, has found full fulfillment in the advent of Christ himself. And that is the gospel. Now, in Luke's gospel, we see this clearly spelled out in the song of Mary. You've heard the, at Christmas time, you've heard the song, the Magnificat, right? But Listen to what Mary does with her song in Luke chapter 1, verses 54 through 55. She is celebrating the fact that with the advent of Christ, listen, God has given help to his servant Israel Look, in remembrance of his mercy, his steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, does the same thing in, 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 in the song of Zechariah, Luke chapter 1, verses 72 to 73. Uh, this is often called the Benedictus, which we have in the Book of Common Prayer. It's a beautiful, we also have the Magnificat. These are beautiful hymns that are based in the theology of the Abrahamic covenant, of God fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant through the sending of Jesus. And so in this song, the father of John the Baptist declares that with the advent of Christ, listen, he has come to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father. And then we come to John's gospel. In John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus tells the Jews this amazing passage. He says to the Jews, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he was to see my day. 
he saw it and was glad. Now that is quite an astounding statement by Christ about the faith of Abraham. Abraham was trusting, Jesus says, in God's promise that through his offspring, all the nations would be blessed one day. And, and Abraham was looking forward to the day when God would bring this promise to fulfillment. And so for 2,000 years, since God's covenant with Abraham, God's people have been waiting with great expectation, longing for the advent of the offspring of Abraham who would come and bless the nations of the earth. And Jesus says to the Jews with the advent of himself, he is fulfilling what the Lord promised 2,000 years prior to Abraham. That is quite an astounding statement. So there are the gospels, how the gospels show us very quickly how Jesus fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. Then what about the book of Acts? When we come to the book of Acts, the book of Acts reveals that the promise made to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and that through that fulfillment, God's promise to bless the Gentiles, the families, the nations of the earth begins to take place. The apostle Peter in Acts chapter 3 verses 25 and 26 is preaching the gospel to the Jews in the temple. And he says that God has kept his promise that he made to Abraham through the sending the advent of Christ. Listen to what he says in chapter 3 verse 25. He says to the Jews, he says, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, he says, in your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He says, for you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. And so Peter is quoting Genesis 12, verse 3. And he says to these Jews, he says that the offspring that God promised to Abraham is actually Jesus. And he says to them, in raising up and sending Jesus, God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham to bless the nations, the families of the earth. It's first offered to the Jewish people, but in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, we remember God's promise not only included the Jewish people, but it included Gentiles. And so what the book of Acts shows is that from Acts chapter 10 onwards, God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham to bless all the nations of the earth through the coming of Christ. And so that's the book of Acts. Then what about the letters of Paul, Galatians? Paul's letter to Romans and to Galatians reveal that the promise made to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and that, that is the gospel. And so in Galatians chapter 3, Paul tells us how this greater stage, the second stage of fulfillment takes place, and that God's promise to Abraham to give Abraham an offspring that this offspring always meant Christ and his church. And so look at Galatians chapter three, verses seven through nine. In this context, Paul is making the argument against Judaizers who came into the church and insisted that the blessing of Abraham, I'll come back to what that is in a minute, but that the blessing of Abraham comes through faith in Christ plus keeping the Mosaic covenant. 
And so Paul is responding to these Judaizers saying, no, 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 the blessing of Abraham, which is this, it's the double benefit of Christ. It is justification and it is sanctification. That this blessing that God promised to Abraham comes through faith in Christ alone, not by keeping the Torah, not by keeping the works of the law, not by observing and coming back under the Mosaic covenant that was now obsolete and gone forever. And so listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3, verses 7 through 9. He says, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons, offspring of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and he quotes Genesis 12, verse 3, all the nations will be blessed in you. So he says, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 is the gospel and promise. And Paul says that with the coming of Christ, what was in promise then is in fulfillment in Christ now. He calls the Abrahamic covenant the gospel in promise. And that justification happens for the Gentile believers, just how it happened with Abraham, who was also formerly a pagan Gentile himself. He was justified by grace through faith alone in God's promise, Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He didn't even have the Mosaic covenant to keep at that point. So how could this happen to us? How could we become the offspring of Abraham? Listen to Galatians 3, verse 16. Paul says that with the advent of Christ, the gospel and promise becomes the gospel and fulfillment. Galatians 3.16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say unto offsprings referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. Paul says that the good news is that God has kept his promise that he made to Abraham through the sending of Christ. Christ is the offspring of Abraham through whom all the promises come to those who believe. And because of that, look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. Paul says that through faith in Christ, the faith in the offspring of Abraham, all people, regardless of gender, lineage, social status, they also become the offspring of Abraham. Listen to what he says. Chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, and if you are Christ, then you, you Gentiles to the Galatians and you to people in Jacksonville, Florida, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise not law-keeping. Paul is clear that God has kept the promise he made to offspring and that the offspring promised to Abraham is Christ and that the blessing of Abraham comes to Gentiles who trust in the cursed, crucified Messiah alone. This is what he says in Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ, Messiah, has redeemed us from the curse of the law, from the curse of the Mosaic Covenant, 
having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who, uh, who hangs on a tree. Jesus was cursed for us so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We receive both justification and sanctification in Christ. The double benefit of Christ comes to us, and we are all through faith in Christ, the offspring of Abraham. God has fulfilled his promise. He's been faithful to fulfill his promise. This is what we heard read to us this morning about the the shoot of Jesse that was prophesied in Isaiah and fulfilled for us in Romans chapter 15 in our scripture readings this morning. Paul says this in Romans chapter 15. Um, He says, listen, he says, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision to the Jews on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. What fathers? To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of Israel. He has given Christ, listen, to confirm his promises that he gave to Abraham, which was what? It was for the Gentiles, you and me, to glorify God for his mercy, his covenant faithfulness, his steadfast love, his loving kindness. And then Paul confirms it as he he quotes the Old Testament. He says, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, with Israel, with the Jews. Rejoice together as one new man in Christ. Look, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come from the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, and in him shall the Gentiles hope. God is faithful to his promise. Now, I know that was a very, very, very quick biblical theological overview of the entire Bible in about 20 minutes. But the gospel is just mind-blowing. It's so multifaceted. It is so big. And so as we reflect this morning on the way that God fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant through the advent of Christ and through the creation of his church, let me finish with three important lessons of this second Sunday in Advent, three important lessons that applies to your life about how God is faithful to fulfill his promise to Abraham. Here's the first one. God's fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant shows us that he is a God of promise and performance. God is faithful to always fulfill and perform what he promises. God's fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant in history reveals to us what he is like. This is why every week in worship, we come to Psalm 100. He invites us to worship. In Psalm 100, the psalmist calls us to give thanks to God and to bless his name. Why? And I've told you this morning, listen, because his loving kindness, his steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness is everlasting. It never ends. And he's faithful to all generations, as you've just heard uh, uh, given to you this morning. His loving kindness is his covenant faithfulness. He makes a promise and he's faithful to keep it forever. Knowing that God is a covenant-keeping God is vital for our faith. 
God's fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant displays before our faith a God who keeps his promises and takes us to be his people with him forevermore. It's comfort. Our faith is directed to Christ, the offspring of Abraham, in whom Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all of God's promises in him are yes and amen. Why is this important? Because this, you know, this is Advent season. We're looking for hope. We're longing for redemption in our lives for many different problems and issues and, and heartaches and sorrows. And we look at this world that we live in with, with half-hearted commitments and faithless people and broken promises and betrayal and disappointment. And the good news of Advent is this, is that we can look forward with great hope to the future and rest in the promises of God because we have the assurance in history that he is filled with steadfast love and that what he has promised will come to pass. He is faithful. His loving kindness is forevermore. He can be trusted. Second, God's fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant in Christ tells us that faith is a means of restoration to God. Faith. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He believed God's promise that he would have an offspring and a land. And just simply by believing what sounded like the most absurd, impossible promise God justified him. Everything east of Eden, everything past Genesis chapter three is estranged from God and needs to be put back into a right relationship with him. And so the account of Abraham teaches us that faith is the sole means of restoration to God. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. I want you to listen again to Graham Goldsworthy. He's so helpful here. He says, Abraham's faith is certainly not perfect. It's not always strong. And sometimes his faith borders on disbelief. Yet at the crucial times, he takes God at his word and he believes his promises. The key is not the strength or perfection of Abraham's faith, but the strength and perfection of the God he trusts. He says that Abraham learns that God is utterly reliable and faithful to his word. And since Abraham deserves nothing of what he's promised, because if you read the account of Abraham carefully, he was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He really was. That's why Paul says in Romans 4, he describes Abraham as ungodly. Abraham deserved nothing of what he has promised. Therefore, it must be seen as a pure and unmerited gift. That is why he is accounted as righteous before God by simply believing. The good news of Advent is that in the fullness of time, God the Father sent the offspring of Abraham to come into the sin-wrecked world to fulfill the work the Father gave him to do. And what was the work that the Father gave the offspring of Abraham to do? It was to walk through the severed halves of the animals and to be cut off for his people. This work included fulfilling the blood oath covenant ratification ceremony of Genesis chapter 15. 
God had sworn to Abraham, if I don't fulfill this, cut me off. He had to fulfill it. And so not only did Christ have to be born under the law, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and live a perfect life of obedience for us, but he also had to become like the bloodied severed halves of the animals. Galatians 3.13, he had to become a curse for us to redeem us from the curse of the law. Galatians 4.4 and Galatians 3.13. Jesus, just like the severed animals, his flesh on the cross was torn and his blood was shed for us. He walked through those severed halves of the animals. He was circumcised on the cross. That's why Isaiah said he was cut off from the land of the living. That word cut off is circumcision from Genesis 17. That's why Paul says in Colossians 2 that Christ's death on the cross was his circumcision. The blood oath that God swore to fulfill in Genesis 15 was fulfilled in the death of Christ for our sins. Knowing this is essential to our joy. Why? If we still think that we're under God's curse for our sin, we will be inevitably driven to serve God out of fear rather than grateful obedience. We're not under the curse. If we think we're still under the curse, that God is not satisfied for us, we will constantly relate to God by the law and attempt to earn his favor. But the doctrine of the Abrahamic covenant teaches us this. That in Christ, we through faith alone and the offspring of Abraham alone have been made heirs according to promise and have been made the offspring of Abraham by faith and grace alone. Faith alone is the means of restoration to God. And then here's the third and final lesson that we get. God's fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant in Christ teaches us that the gospel declares God's grace to the nations. Just really quickly as we uh, finish up here, we live in a world that is east of Eden. And everything east of Eden is fallen, broken, divided, disunified, and filled with disharmony. And Advent is a season where we long for all of that to be reversed so that we're, not, we're no longer east of Eden, but we're back in Eden. And the good news of the Abrahamic covenant is that from the very beginning, God intended for the blessing of Abraham to be extended to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. That's Romans 15. That was our scripture lesson this morning. God has a plan to redeem this world of division, disunity, and disharmony. And so it is because of God's promise to Abraham, Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 14, that the Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost and sent the apostles as Christ's eyewitnesses, Acts 1.8, listen, to Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let me remind you as we finish this morning, we all who sit here today are at the end of the earth in Acts 1.8. That is us. And we are the fulfillment and the beneficiaries of the blessing of Abraham promised 4,000 years ago to Abraham. We are the offspring of Abraham to whom God said, Abraham, through your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is us today. 
as we finish, listen to how this author puts it. He says, it is because of God's promise to Abraham that Christians are black, white, Asian, Hispanic, and more. The Christian faith is not a Northern European faith. It's not a Semitic faith, but an international global faith. In a world that is typically segregated by our cultural identities, consumer preferences, and political affiliations, the doctrine of the Abrahamic covenant shows us that the church, as it is gathered throughout the world, is, quote, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Nothing but the gospel can create a community like this one. That's the good news of Advent. That's like when I fill out forms now, I say, what race are you? I'm a uh, chosen race. <laughs> what nation are you a part of? Uh, a holy nation. <laughs> we are all, Paul says in Galatians 3, 28 and 29, the offspring of Abraham. Neither male, it's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so the good news of Advent is that God's fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant tells us that the gospel, Revelation 5 verse 9, listen, is for every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God is a God of promise and performance. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're faithful to your promise to save us from our sin. Father, I, I look at my life and we all examine our lives this morning as we come to your table and realize that we are not faithful at all like you are. We fail miserably at times. But you are faithful. You are faithful to us. And so as we come to your table this morning, to your sacrament, your visible gospel, would you by the power of your Holy Spirit through the means of grace, through this simple bread and simple wine that you've given to us, assure us, I am faithful to my promise and that I love you and that I have favor for you and that you are my offspring, that you are blessed forevermore. Would you assure our hearts of this? We pray, we need this ministry from you today. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening to the Him We Proclaim podcast with John Fonville. You just heard a message called The Offspring of Abraham, and it's part two from our four-part Advent series called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We invite you back again for part three, coming up in just a few days, called The Offspring of David. Him We Proclaim is a ministry of John Fonville of Paramount Church in Jacksonville, Florida. You can check out his website at paramountchurch.com. We look forward to next time.